0: Yeah, welcome to Grace Covenant. This summer we're doing um, Summer School of Wisdom. Summer School of Wisdom. We're looking at the uh, various personality profiles in the Book of Wisdom. And uh, I told you summer school, right? Pop quiz. We're going to have a pop quiz right now. Going to end that worship time with a test. What I want to do is review very quickly the profiles we've already covered, and we're going to look at two new ones today. Now if you remember the first week we were looking at it, we, actually the book of Proverbs is broken up into the wise and the fool, and the first week we looked at the wise and the fool in general, and the wise, we had hand signs for each of them, he goes like this, he loves wisdom, he's always pursuing understanding, because wisdom and understanding are more precious than any piece of jewelry you could ever wear, it's more beautiful than that. Over here on this side is fools, various kinds and degrees of foolishness. A general fool, he or she just goes like this, Yeah. Right. I want to learn everything the hard way. And the reason they have that attitude is they think, well, they know everything, and so they have to learn everything again a whole new way, the hard way. On the extremes of the fools, the one over here on the the worst kind of fool is what's called a scoffer or a mocker, and the hand sign was shaking his fist at God. It's a high-handed sin. And we learned that you want to get them out of your office if you have that kind of rank or stay away from them if you don't. If you qualified yourself as a mocker, you will need help for your life to overcome ego addiction. And then over here on this side, as close as we can get to the wise person was the naive or the simpleton. And they just, they didn't, they don't know much. It's not their fault in a lot of ways. And, and we're, we are that way in our lives. The simpleton says, I did not know that. The simplest sense is that. So those are the ones we've looked at so far. Now let's look at two more. We'll look today at what's called the sluggard. The sluggard. Now, a lot of modern translations will be the lazy person, because that makes sense. But sluggard is a great name. So we're going to hold on to that one. I mean, let's just listen to the sluggard. It's it's a slug. It It is a snail that's too lazy to even carry a a shell around, and this is true. A slug can sleep for three years. How would you even know? I mean, I don't know what else they were doing anyway, but that's a sluggard. And the the sages of the Old Testament save some of their most creative writing and their uh, fanciful descriptions for this lazy person. They make fun of him and mock him more than the other characters or personalities. But know this. Uh, they don't think it's funny. It's, it's immorality. It's sin in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you know much about church history, you'll know that in the early church, the seven deadly sins, you might have heard of those, seven deadly sins. Well, One of them is called sloth or laziness or the sluggard. Laziness is this gravitational pull of thinking that you should take a rest, but you take it way too long. Here's how a sluggard thinks. This is lazy thinking. Okay? It's it's called psychologists, this is a true thing. It's called magical thinking. And magical thinking is: I want something that's very valuable, but I won't have to work for it. I'll just, it'll just like it'll just happen. And and they people that believe in magical thinking. Uh, think that there's going to be a suspension of physics or, a, a, you know, like a, a pause of, or a defying biology, or some, they'll get some kind of dust from a magic wand on them, and they're going to get what they want other, that other people have, but they just don't think they're going to have to work for it. How do you get magical thinking? How do you think like a lazy person, like a sluggard? You're proud. You're proud because you think that the universe runs this way… For everyone else, but you, you're the exception. You're that person where physics doesn't matter and biology doesn't matter because of the magic dust, I guess. I mean, look what it says in uh, 16. a lazy people consider them smarter than seven wise counselors. See, that's the magic thinking. That's magical thinking. Seven men or women come before you and say, if you want that, you'll have to work for that. And you think, right? Magical thinking, someday, some way, I'm gonna receive that but not have to work for it because, well, I'm me. That's why. Uh, Here's another way of magical thinking of what's going on Um, 20, verse 4. It says, Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food for the harvest. Magical thinking. Everyone else has to plant in this season, and then they get a harvest. But I believe that someday, some way, I won't do any of that work, but I'm going to have a huge crop come in. Kind of sounds strange, doesn't it? But that's, that's what people that are sluggers are thinking. They wonder why they don't have, and it's because they won't work. And it's this someday, some way. Kind of mindset someday I'll just start waking up early. It'll just happen. Someday, some way, uh, I come from a majorly dysfunctional family, but I won't have to do any extra work or seek counsel to be able to have really deep interpersonal relationships. It'll just happen. Some way, maybe someday, my marriage is just going to get better. All by itself. I think. Magic is gonna come my way, and the credit card company is gonna forget all about me and my address and my indebtedness. The kids are just gonna stop getting into trouble. Someday, some way, my metabolism is gonna shift again, but for the better this time, and the fat's just gonna fall off of me, and I'm gonna get some serious tone. Someday, some way, I'm gonna get serious about the king of King Jesus and really follow him. And, and so this, this value system of magic thinking, you got to say, are you sure? I don't think I've ever seen it work that way. As a matter of fact, again, physics, laws of thermodynamics, things approach entropy. Life requires regular maintenance. We're all Sisyphus. We're pushing the stone uphill to just to live. And so, lazy thinking, here's one last way of lazy thinking, okay? It's not just magical thinking. It's ways of finding excuses for all sorts of things. Look what it says in 2613. The lazy person claims there's a lion in the road. Yeah, there's a lion out there. Now, there's not a lion out there. The, The idea here is that they're using their energy and creativity to make excuses of why they can't work. Why they can't do the hard thing. This is me about every Saturday morning. I get up early to mow the lawn, and then I think, you know what? There's a lion in the streets. It's too early, and I want to be a good neighbor, and I don't want to start up that mower too early. So I'll just wait a little longer, and then I'll look outside and go, there's so much dew on the ground. The grass is so thick. And my five-horsepower Honda mower that could take a tree down, it would probably get all clogged up. (laughs) I should have some breakfast first because I've got an eighth of an acre, and I need to, like, carbo-load for that thing. (laughs) I don't have enough gas. I can only mow the front yard, and then people will all know that I just mowed the front and let the lawn, backyard go. It's so hot now, and I'm tired, and I'll mow it tomorrow. You know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to wake up, and the yard will be mowed. (laughs) The yard elves will come. Procrastination, procrastination, it's all about magical thinking and making excuses. How do you change a sluggard? Here's how. There's two points here. You're entering, you're enrolling the sluggard into what's called Ant Hill University, and there's two points. to Be looking for them. One, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Could I stop for a second and just acknowledge that ants don't even have a brain, Okay, see how we're making fun of this person? Like, could you go to this brainless, small, little creature and learn from that? Okay, let's see what he has to tell us. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they they do it anyway. And two, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, sluggard, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding of the hands and rest? Bam! Poverty will come upon you, will pounce upon you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. You see what he's saying? There's two lessons to learn from the ant. One, the ant knows if it's dependent upon external motivation to get things done, that's a dangerous way to live life. So, he, it says he doesn't have a ruler or right, a prince or a governor. He just, he, inside of him, it's, it, it, like us, if, if you need a boss or a teacher or a parent to keep you motivated, what are you going to do when they leave the room? What are you going to do when you leave the place? So, the ant uses intrinsic motivation, doesn't need a ruler to get him going. Do you know what his intrinsic motivation is? Starvation, mostly. I mean, food. The the ant wants food, and the second thing you see here is that the ant is able to plan ahead. It says if it wants food in the wintertime, it's gonna like be hard, you know, planting in the summertime. So he knows what to do and then when to do it. That's just makes sense, right? And and so all summer long, it's just go 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 go. We our kids, we put them all through the ant hill university. Uh, our youngest. We, we tell our kids, major purchases and cars will pay half, and they have to pay the other half. So we tell them it's about six, so they have ten years to get money ready for a car. First two, not so much. The third one started working at six, and, and then when she was, I don't know, about, I don't know, 14, maybe 13, she said, hey, Dad, can I start mowing the lawn so, you know, so I can make money to buy a car? I said, well, sure, you bet. Um, I'll pay you $15 to mow the yard and she said well the going rate's 25 and I said you're no good at this so I'm not paying the going rate so it's 15 or you can take your you know your job somewhere else and maybe somebody else will pay you that 25 so she mowed the lawn you know pretty regularly and did that for 3 years she paid for the car that she wanted and rolled out pretty nicely in her whole thing and then this is this is a great story about 10 months later she's sitting at the table and she goes hey she must have been studying algebra Goes, hey dad if you if you paid me $15 uh, you know every time I mowed it and then you did matching funds you actually paid me $30 every week to mow the yard when the going rate was 25 kind of makes you stupid <laughs> like math i never liked math Ignorance was bliss in that situation. So, that's our story. Why do you listen to the ant? Because it says right after that ant story, if you don't do that, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and then one day you wake up, sluggard, and you think you've been robbed. There's nothing there. You go to the cupboard, you know, where the food is kept, and there's no food here, and you think, we've been broken into. No, that's just foolishness, paying the dividends that you earned, and you won't make it through the winter. Advice to other people, if you are having to live your life around a slugger, a lazy person, here's what the first thing it says is, don't you want to work with one? Oh, no, 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 no. And look what it says. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar on the teeth and smoke in the eyes. Everybody has been on a team in school where they're in a project, and there's at least one sluggard, and you think, oh, my, are we getting a group grade? How do I get out of this group grade? And then you think, oh, that's over with. And then you go to real life and you go, oh, my, I'm on a team with a couple sluggards. Are we getting a group raise? And it's like 50 hours a week, if you are employing a sluggard, 50 hours a week, you're sitting in that campfire and the smoke is blowing in your face the whole time. You move. Anybody else do this? And then the smoke keeps blowing in your face. That's what it's like to have as an employee a lazy bones. So, listen, don't pay them by the hour. You want to pay them by the job, and you don't want to pay them until the job's completely done. That's advice to those of you who have lazy people around you. The second thing is don't feed them. No, that's what the Bible says. Don't feed a sluggard. Look what it says. Well, actually, we're not there yet. Let me explain the context. This is Old Testament and New, if you think there's a difference. Uh, there's a church in Thessalonica that, that Paul was part of, and he, th- this group of people think Jesus is coming back any minute, like any minute. So there's a handful of people that just go, well, if he's not coming back, I quit. <laughs> and so they quit working, and Jesus didn't come back. And they kind of liked not working because then they started living off the naive generosity of hardworking Christians in the church. And so Paul writes two letters to the church of Thessalonica. And in both times, he tells them this. If you don't work, you don't eat. And it's truthful and it's loving. Look what he says. And he's going to appeal. It's going to make it a command. And he's going to appeal to the kingship of Jesus. Are you ready now? Let's look at the passage. Don't feed him. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord. That means king. In the name of the King Jesus Christ. Stay away from all these believers who live idle lives and don't follow the traditions they receive from us. Here it is, verse 10. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command: those unwilling, unwilling to work, will not get to eat. Now it does not say those who cannot work. It says those who will not work. And so people that cannot work because they're broken and things aren't working, the, the poor, let me put it this way, the poor in the Bible are people that are victims of circumstance of some kind that's beyond their control. The sluggard here is a fool. He's a victim of foolishness. And the, the, this is a command that is compassionate because they have to be broken from magical thinking and finding excuses. And you know what does that in a hurry? A growling stomach—you know the way the man's heart's through his head. Whatever the way to a, a sluggard's mind is through a growling stomach, and it, this is this is a command that's compassionate because it's truthful and it's loving. It's it's truthful because if you withhold right finances or what food from the sluggard, you help them connect the dots and and, and erase magical thinking. Hard work leads to rewards. So, you're helping them connect. It. So, that's truthful. And then it's loving because by design, men and women were, were made to work. That's what we do best. We get… human dignity comes from labor, from taking chaos and making it into something symphonic, making it something beautiful. And we get… we become we, we're most like, in many respects, the nature of God when we create because God was a creator. He made us to create. We made us in His image. And so by withholding food from the sluggard, it makes him want to work. And in that work, he disconnects magic thinking, quits making uh, excuses, and then he gets to, like, get his dignity back. That's what the Bible says, and that's why it says it. So the hand sign, excuse me, the hand sign for the sluggard is look mumps, looks like some of you know this already, okay, so it goes like this. It's just yawning.'ve been saying it for a while. It's yawning and and, and it's because they're just too tired to, to work. So how are you doing in the in proverbs they're called pathways how you do, are you on the pathway to the sluggard? Are you a type of person that thinks someday some way? are you type of person that's always making excuses? It says you'd better be careful because one day you're gonna wake up and you think you got robbed, and it's just finally your bills come due. A lot of the people I hang around with, um, that's not their problem. They would probably say, I would love a little lazy in my life. That would be a nice change of pace. But remember, if you go back to when we started talking about the wise and the fool, These are generalizations, and where most people find themselves foolish is not in this overarching whole-life foolishness, but it's in, like, compartmental foolishness. So I would say many of us probably suffer from compartmental laziness, uh, selected slothfulness, uh, pockets of inactivity, right? So we probably know stories, or you might have been part of that story, where you go to college and you are highly disciplined in your social calendar. Or getting in shape, but with school, just kind of a little bit lazy there. There's a lot of people that are killing it out in the field, you know, number one in sales, have a pretty good score in the golf, but when they come home, they're too tired. Someday, some way, they'll bring home that emotional energy that their wife and their children need. There's some moms that are constantly giving out to other people, but lazy when it comes to their own children, nothing much for the children. I know a lot of highly relational people that, like, give of themselves, men and women that give of themselves emotionally to other people, but they have never taken the courage, because it's work… And courageous to look inside of their own souls and and ask the question, "What motivates me? What is driving me to be this way?" Because that's where the work is, and it's in that part of their life they kind of they're lazy, and they need to get on that. That's a real part of life. Or one day they're going to wake up and they're going to wonder what happened to my cistern right of, of, of strength within my spirit. I want to be clear because this, this is contrary to the American church, Jesus Christ is not out to make us busy. So I hope you didn't hear that. Jesus Christ said the abundant life, it's the balanced life. It's the, it's the golden mean between extremes, as Aristotle said. There's somewhere between lazy and slothfulness and being driven and not resting well. And that middle is hard to find, but it, the balanced life is the one that God has called us to. So. How'd you do with that, sloth? We're going to change mood and subject dramatically here. Our next uh, personality is called the seducer, and the seducer is known as the flirt and the adulterer, and I'm going to add this because it's true, pornography. I'm adding pornography because it does all the things that the seducer and the flirt and the adulterer does. And it is so pervasive now, the, pow- the destructive power of pornography is so pervasive now, it is making the covers of many major, non, you know, secular uh, magazines. And, and it, is, it is destroying in the same rate, and, or rather the same way, that these other personalities that we envision in our heads. In other words, it has the highest kill rate today, so we're going to put it right in there because... Pornography, the seducer, the adulterer, the flirt, they destroy you. And everyone you love from the inside out. That's how it is. Now, I thought the best way to teach this is to look at Proverbs 5 through 7, and I want you to do this for homework. I want you to read those three chapters, and I want you to translate them, make them modern, take on a whole new persona. I'm going to show you how to do this. Okay, and you can follow my notes later if you want to just look up the passages that I'm going to. But take on a new persona and teach this section of scripture like you're an older, wise person, and you're teaching someone in the same gender about the seducer, the flirt, pornography. And before we move on, in the, I'm going to teach the passage like it's written. And the seducer is is the villain is a female, and this villain has no gender. Okay, it goes both ways. There's there's more than enough men that are flirts, adulterers, pornography, that sort of thing, that just want a, a young lady to be a notch on the, the bedpost. And so, gals, you can write this section like you're writing your daughter a, a note before she goes off to school or something. So, I'm just going to do it the way it's done in the Bible, and, and you, you'll understand that I'm not trying to be sexist at all. I'm just doing what the passage says. So, I feel like to fully grasp the power of this passage... I'll need to get into my funeral garb because we're going to see people die. Let me tell you something, my friends. You listen carefully to these simple words because if you listen, you'll live. If you don't, this seducer, she will destroy your soul. She will take your life. So listen, here's the line, stay away. Stay away from the seducer. You keep your distance, don't get anywhere near a flirt, because they will devastate your existence. She will take you apart and you'll live with nothing but regrets, and you'll have a lifetime reputation lost in seven minutes. And then you'll say, how did this happen? Why didn't I listen to the men that came before me that warned me about this? Why did I think that I could be different? Why did I think that I wouldn't give in to the charming words of this flirt? Why did I think I was above all that? And now, and now, I have hurt every person I love. You want to do it the easy way? You want to live a great life? Listen to the old ranchers. Here's what they'll tell you. They'll say, hey, you only drink from your water well. You know what that means? That means you fall in love and you stay in love and you do anything you can to maintain that love, but you don't go to anyone else as well. <laughs> you don't respond to a flirt. You don't wink back when the seducer sends a message to you. you th- yeah, okay, look, the charming words, they're going to go down like honey. And then they turn to the razor blades in your stomach, and you bleed out slow. She looks at you like a loaf of bread. Pornography is going to pull a piece of your soul off one at a time and devour it. She does not care for you. Do you think you can play with this? you think you can go back and forth? Could you light a campfire in your lap and not be burned? Could you walk across hot coals and not be scalded? So it is with the person who thinks that they can have an audience with a seducer, who thinks that they could flirt with the flirt. I don't think you've seen the light. I don't think you believe me yet. So I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. Happens every year at the law firm. We have this end-of-the-year party, and it's a lot of fun. And over the years, I have just gone upstairs to my office on the second floor And I'll just look down on the party through the blinds. And I'll just, I'll watch. And sometimes I'll look at the associates and and I'll write a name down and try to guess who is going to win the Simpleton of the Year award. Because (laughs) it's the same story. It's just with different names. At the end of the year party, everybody's blowing off a lot of steam. It's been a hard year and... People are venting the stress that they've been through and having a lot of fun, and you can tell that because they're laughing loud, and the jokes are not that good. And what the younger guys don't know is it's hunting season, and they're the prey. They just, they're just so naive to it. And you can tell if you're watching just by the way people dress. All the guys are dressed up in their coats and ties like they always are, and most of the ladies are too. But there's always a couple that have a license to hunt, and they are dressed to kill. And you can see the guys that are attracted to that because they can't take their eyes off. They've never seen these ladies dressed quite like that. Do you know why they've never seen them dressed like that? because they can't wear that outfit in our law firm during business hours. And so, like I said, they came to kill. Sometimes when I'm up there, years ago, I would tap on the glass and yell down at them, and I'd say, you simpleton, you've got to get out of there. If you leave right now, you'll live through the night. If you stay you'll be eaten alive. But you know what? The music's always too loud. No one ever's listened to me, and so I just quit over the years even thinking about it. And then the trap is set. She walks back with her hand out and bumps into his hand and just kind of flicks it up so that it's noticeable but doesn't draw too much attention where she has to explain. And then he turns around, and here comes the flattery. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I bumped into you, but you know what? I've been meaning to tell you something. I've been meaning to tell you how much I respect you for all of the work that you do here. You're, you're amazing. <laughs> okay. That's nice to hear. And she said, you know what, there's another thing. But she lowers her voice. So he has to lean into her a little closer. And she says, you know, all my girlfriends and I, we always seem to loop around and talk about how much we admire you shoulders back. That's fun to hear. Well, why why is that? Man, it's loud here. There's so many people. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Because I was the one who took home all the leftovers from today's big staff luncheon, and it's at my house. And if you remember, it's Franklin's Barbecue. It's still warm. Why don't you come over? And I'll tell you why we keep talking about you. There's a long pause and a longer stare. And then she leans in and whispers sensual words and very seductive images. And I've seen guys drop their glass right there on the tile floor. And then comes the pitch. Here's the close. My husband's, he's in Europe for a whole month, and I'm not asking for any kind of commitment. I just want some good, honest fun. That's what Proverbs 7 means, verse 21. And so she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. The rest of the chapter is not so nice because it says, all at once, all at once, he never saw it coming. He may have been a man with the power of an ox, the strongest domesticated animal that you could have, and he was led willingly without a fight, submissive to her being pulled by the nose ring, and she took him to the slaughterhouse. He was already there. And he was looking around like he wasn't. He may have had the grace of a deer, but because of these seductive words, he tripped and fell right into a trap. (laughs) And he didn't know the kill shot was already airborne. This poor soul, he had all the freedom of a bird, but he was pinned to the ground and trapped by stupid. That's what it cost she said, she said she wanted to have him over for dinner. She meant she was going to have him for dinner. She's a man-eater. This prostitute, the adulterer, the seductress, pornography. She just carved him into pieces, and she chewed him up and ate him alive. That's what it says in Proverbs verse th- chapter 30. It says this. This is the way the adulterer, the seducer, the flirt, the pornography, she consumes a man. And then she wipes her mouth like the savage that she is. And she says, what's wrong with that? Have you seen the light yet? Here's how the passage ends. So listen to me my children and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray away towards the seducer, towards pornography. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been ruin of many, and many men have been her victims. Her house is the highway to hell. Are you appropriately afraid yet? Enough to do something about it? Let me tell you how you should live. In Proverbs, it's just kind of the way they write to make an emphasis. They'll say, there are six things the Lord hates. There are seven things that are detestable to him. That's kind of the... and so the point is, listen to number seven. Listen to whatever the last thing is, because that's the point he's driving home. And in chapter 30, verse 18, right before this devouring passage, it says, there are three things that are too wonderful to understand. No, there are four things that are too beautiful to comprehend in the way they're designed and the joy they were meant to bring us. One, an eagle soaring. The way an eagle soars, that's ah, majestic. Two, the way a snake climbs up a rock. Three, the way of a ship out on the open sea. And four, this is the one to listen for, the one that's more beautiful than you could ever understand, more you know, mind-blowing, this is the thing. Three things that are so wonderful. Four, a man with his new wife. It's that good. It's that good. That's the way it was meant to be. That's the way it should be. That's the way you should be. Leave that where it is, and you'll love life. We'd better talk to God about this, okay? Let's do that. Lord Jesus, I know there's some men and women in this audience that have flirted with the flirt. They think they can dance with pornography and not be crippled. They think they can sit down with a meal to this seducer and not be devoured. And Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would scare the world into them. Lord, I also ask that your spirit would give us two things today in great quantities, truth and courage. That those who have dined at that table might do something about it. By something, I mean whatever it takes. Truth and courage. Lord, I'd ask that you would bless this church with awareness of the power of your spirit, that he is greater than this. And then we would live a life that's holy and blameless and makes the angels wonder about the beauty of a man with his new wife. That's what we'd celebrate the joy of obedience. We pray this with great expectation and anticipation of your fulfillment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.